Well, good morning, friends. It's so good to see you. My name is David, and I serve here at uh, Trinity as one of the pastors. If you're joining us online, we are glad that you are with us. Um, You know, there's a lot of debate over who is the best superhero out there, and and with all the Marvel films that have come out, there's lots of conversation about which is the best of all the Marvel films. And, and there's lots of different contributing factors from, obviously, the story to the action to the backstory to the protagonist, the hero. But, you know, I've learned that, for me, what makes a great superhero movie is the villain. Like, a great villain can make that movie fantastic, and a bad villain makes it kind of boring. And, you know, villains are important. Like, who, who would Superman be without Lex Luthor, right? Pe- people need their villains. Uh, who would Batman be without the Joker? It's the Joker that makes that story so interesting. Who would Peter Pan be without Captain Hook? Who would the Yankees be without the Red Sox, right? We need, we need villains. And this morning, uh, as we launch into our series called Radical Generosity, I want us to start by asking this question. When we talk about generosity, who is the villain? What's the problem? Who is the enemy or what is the enemy of generosity? And we're going to look at a uh, text in Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 13. Jesus is in public, he's doing ministry, and he's having a conversation. And it says that someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, man, Who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then Jesus said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he told them a story, this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. And what we're going to see this morning is that the enemy of generosity is greed. And Jesus brings this to the forefront by doing two things. He gives us a warning and he tells us a story. The warning reveals the nature of greed, but the story reveals to us our nature, the nature of the human heart. And so let's look first at this warning that reveals the nature of greed. What is greed? Greed is, this is one definition, greed is an excessive desire for or dependence on money and material things. Now, is a desire for money and material things greed? No, but when it's an out-of-control desire, when it's an inordinate desire, when it's an over-desire, that's greed, an over-desire for or dependence upon money or material things. Next week, we're going to see that greed is actually about much more than money. How many of you discovered that people can be stingy with things beyond money? People are stingy sometimes with their words. Stingy with their attitudes, stingy with their time, stingy with their talents. One of the things I'm going to talk about next week is that sometimes we're stingy with our interpretation of what other people do. And there's a way in which we express greed. 
But in this passage in Luke 12, Jesus really is having a conversation related to money. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning because that's what the text is about. And Jesus gives us this warning. And the warning starts with two uh, simple words, two familiar words, watch out, watch out. Recently, I, I was at Costco's, no big surprise, and they had Branzino uh, there. And I don't know if you know what Branzino is. It's a, little, it's a white fish. It's a thin, bony, white fish, and, and I've had it in restaurants, but I wanted to try and make it, and it seemed like a good deal. So I bought a couple Branzinos, and I brought them home. I got a picture, actually. This is, this is the Branzino. So you cook it whole in the pot, and I know that's gross for some of you, the head and the eyes. I didn't eat the eyes. I did eat the cheek meat. That's the best part on the fish. Um, but I cooked up this Branzino, and I gave someone to, to try, but I had to warn them because Branzino has a lot of bones in it. And a lot of little dangerous bones. And so I said, hey, as you're eating this, watch out. Because I didn't want them to like get a bone stuck in their throat. Watch out because there's lots of little bones. Now, if I had handed them a T-bone, I would not have said, watch out for the bone. (laughs) Don't choke on the bone because it's so obvious. It's right there in front of you. When Jesus says, watch out, what he's saying is, you're not going to see this coming. And so we need to hear this warning the way Jesus intended for it to be heard. He's saying, I don't think you're going to realize you're greedy, even though you are. Jesus is concerned that we're going to miss out on this. So this is a bigger deal than we think. So if you're sitting here this morning and you heard the topic is greed, it's not relevant to my life, Jesus would say to you, watch out. You don't realize when it's coming for you, even though it is. And then Jesus says, be on guard. And be on guard implies that that greed is ready to attack and steal from us at all times and ways. We have to be on guard. We have to protect ourselves. One of the things that changed in our homes with having a puppy is the way that we eat. The way that we sit around and the, and, the, and the way in which we leave food out afterwards. We used to eat and then put our, put our, our half-eaten uh, plate. Well, my plate's never half-eaten, but the girls would put their half-eaten plates on the coffee table. But we can't do it anymore. We've been all over our girls. Girls, you can't leave stuff out anymore because Mickey will get to it. And our youngest one, Maddie, she likes to sit in this chair in the living room and eat a bowl of ice cream every night. Isn't that the life? Chocolate peanut butter, if you're wondering. That's her go-to flavor. Every night, chocolate peanut butter ice cream. But we've learned that if we just set her in the chair with the ice cream, Mickey will jump up there and try to get the ice cream from her. So if you could see the things that we do to protect her. I mean, we, we move chairs from other rooms and we build a fortress around her. We guard her so that he can't get up there to get the ice cream from her. And Jesus here is so concerned for our hearts. He's so concerned for your heart this morning that he doesn't just say, watch out. He says, you better be ready to guard yourself. You have to make, listen, you have to make intentional efforts to protect yourself from greed. If you're not doing something currently in your life, intentional, to protect yourself from greed, chances are greed has access to your heart in ways that you don't want it to. Watch out. Jesus doesn't say, watch out for murder. We know if we're doing that. Watch out for adultery. Watch out for mean words. Greed is so much sneakier than that. And here's how sneaky greed is. Greed is so sneaky that you won't think you're greedy if you know someone who is more greedy than you. It just takes one person. If you know one person who's obsessed with their material stuff, you will look at them and go, look how obsessed that my neighbor is with his car and with her boat and with their house. And look at all the things they're always buying. And as soon as you see that, you immediately take yourself off of the hook for having any greed in your heart because you know one person greedier than you. That's how sneaky greed is. Greed is also sneaky because you'll think, if I'm not rich, I can't be greedy. Greed, greed is a sin of the wealthy and the rich. Well, that right there reveals that money has power over you. 
You know how something has power over you? It changes the stories you tell about other people. And when greed is at work in your heart, you'll look at wealthy people and you'll create narratives about how they got their wealth and whether or not they deserve that wealth and the things that they must have compromised to get that wealth. And the moment you do that, you're revealing you got a problem with greed too. You don't have to be rich to be greedy. You can be very poor and still have greed in your heart. And this is why Jesus is saying, you gotta watch out because here's the power of greed. Greed actually has the power to blind you to itself. You won't see it coming. We have this game in our house that we love to play, this board game that we play with the girls called Googly Eyes. Anybody ever play Googly Eyes? I know it sounds like something romantic you do towards another person, giving them googly eyes. But it's a board game where they give you these funny glasses, and, and, and they, the glasses make things hard to see. Everything looks weird. And then it's basically Pictionary, but, but you can't see what you're drawing. Googly eyes. It's a lot of fun. And you look ridiculous while you're wearing it, which is the best part of the game. Googly eyes distorts the things that you see. And greed works the exact same way. Greed has a way of distorting everything in your life and the way you see things. You will begin to see possessions not as things to steward, not as gifts from God, not as resources to bless others with, but you'll see possessions as things that actually define you and give you value and worth and make you superior to other people who don't have those possessions. You'll begin to see people in your workplace as pawns to use to get to where you want to go or as obstacles between you and what you need. You'll begin to see work as something you either endure as a necessity to get the money, to get the things that you want, or as something that you adore because you worship it because it's providing you with the money and the things that you want. And also, greed will cause you to begin to see money in one of two ways, either as your source of security or as your source of significance. And that's where we get to the real heart of the problem here, is that most of us look to money for one of two things, security or significance. And um, I've said this before, but, you know, generally speaking with money, there's two types of people. There are spenders and there are savers. And we marry each other usually, and it becomes a source of stress during our entire marriage. And if I'm being honest, in my marriage, I am the spender and Aaron is the saver. And so for me, my temptation is to look at money as a, as a way of bringing significance into my life by buying things that make me feel important. Or make me feel good. You know that feeling of wearing a new shirt out in public or a new pair of shoes? Or maybe it's just me. But uh, this is something that, that, that I personally struggle with. I want to buy something because I think if I have that logo on my jacket or if I can afford to eat at that restaurant or take that sort of vacation, it validates me and my life and my work. And I'm now in this group of people who can do these sort of things and go to these sort of places. And the danger of that is that money becomes a tool through which I try to pull significance into my heart, which the only significance that really can't be taken from us is found in Christ. So that's what spenders do. Then those of you that are savers, and this is a generalization, but, but I think it's true often, often look to money for security. So you're not going to waste your money. You're very careful with your money. You're very frugal with your money. I need your advice, actually, in my own life. Those are savers. But you also might be using money in a way that is harmful to your own heart because now money is a source of security for you. And what allows you to navigate life is X amount of dollars in your bank account, and you obsess over that, and you find yourself day after day or, in some cases, hour after hour going back and checking your investments and checking your bank account. And it's that, it's that, that, it's that number that gives you. I can look out at the world, and I can know that no matter what happens out there, I'm secure. Why? Because of Christ? No, because I have money 
in the bank. And there's nothing wrong with having money in the bank, and there's nothing wrong with buying new things. Remember, it's not a desire for those things. It's a, it's a controlling desire for those things. Do you own your stuff, or does your stuff own you? Do you have it, or does it have you? And this is what Jesus is trying to warn us about. And the reason why Jesus is trying to warn us about this is not because he's a miser, and not because he wants us to be miserable, and not because he wants every single last dime that we have, but because he knows that we will get enslaved to money and materialism, and those things will control us and own us. But the problem is, is that those money as a master, material possessions as a master, that hasn't, it can't give you what your heart ultimately needs. I've used this example before, but my family and I, we like to watch the show Shark Tank Friday nights on ABC. And these investors with all this money sit in their seats and people with ideas come in and pitch their companies or pitch their inventions. And it's just a lot of fun to watch. And right in the middle of the room is Mr. Wonderful, this guy who's this very wealthy investor. And on multiple times, I've heard him say that money equals freedom. That's his whole worldview. The more money you have, the more freedom you have. And honestly, in our society at times, that actually does carry some truth to it. Money equals freedom. But then I've also heard him say that the reason I wake up every morning is to go to bed richer than I woke up. And when you put those two things together, you realize he's not free. He's no more free than, than, than the poor person is. He's a slave. I mean, he's just a slave to, to, to wealth. And to, so it's ironic, right? He's pursuing freedom by enslaving himself. And that's really what happens when we make money our God. And so Jesus gives us this warning. He says, watch out, be on guard, look out for greed in your life. You won't see it coming. And, and by the way, that's why this morning we need to say, Holy Spirit, help me examine my heart to see where the greed is. Start with the assumption that greed is something you're battling and then ask the Holy Spirit to help you see where it is. Don't start with the assumption it's not a problem for you because Jesus says, if that's your attitude, you don't even see it where it's at. Watch out and be on guard. He gives us a warning, showing us the nature of greed. But then he tells us a story. Stories are better than warnings, right? And the story reveals something about the nature of the human heart. And there's something we learn about our nature here and about greed. And the first thing is this. Listen. There's two things we learn here. Number one, even the good things of life can become a source of worry and anxiety. And then secondly, especially the good things of life can become a source of our identity. All right, so those two things. Even the good things in life can cause us to be anxious, but then also we learn that especially the good things of life can become our source of identity. Do you remember the story that I just read that the man says? He's like, what's his problem? His problem is he's successful. He's wildly successful. He's not stressing over things like, well, how am I going to pay my bills? He's not stressing over, uh, you know, uh, how am I going to feed my children? His whole source of anxiety is, I got too much. I got all this good stuff. I'm so successful. And it's, it's what's called a good problem, right? What am I going to do with all this? But it still causes him to stay up at night wondering and thinking, what am I going to do? It, it, the man is anxious even about good things. What should have been a blessing becomes a burden. And in the very next passage, Jesus says, be anxious about nothing. And your anxieties have a way of revealing your priorities, the things that you stay up at night thinking about, the things that you obsess about, the things that you worry about reveal your priorities. And often it's the good things of life that we're kind of anxious about. So money can have a way, even when we have it or have a lot of it, of increasing our anxiety and our worry. But then also it can become our source of identity. In this story that Jesus tells in Luke 12, he doesn't give this man a name, which is not unusual because Jesus doesn't give people names in parables. He calls him the rich man. 
But if you go four chapters forward, there's a very famous story in Luke 16 where Jesus, um, and there's some debate of whether, whether Luke 16 is a parable or an actual event, but most commentators believe it's a parable. And in that parable, for the first time and only time in all of Jesus' stories, he gives a name to someone, and the name is Lazarus. This is the story of Lazarus, the poor man who dies, and then the rich man. But the rich man doesn't get a name. And the commentators say Jesus actually does that very intentionally to drive home a point to the listeners. Whereas Lazarus has an identity apart from his possessions, the rich man does not. On this earth and in the world to come, he's still the rich man. He's nothing more than the rich man. That's all he is. And in this story, Jesus does the same thing in Luke 12. He calls him the rich man. Kierkegaard, Soren Kierkegaard says that sin is building your identity on anything other than God. Let me say that again. Sin is building your identity on anything other than God. The psalmist in Psalm 135 verse 18 talking about idols and things that we build our lives on says that those who make them become like them and so do all who trust in them. And the lesson that we learn here is that when we worship something, when we crave something, when we have an out of control desire for something and we make it into an idol, into a God, not only do we worship it, but we become like it. We lose our very sense of self in our pursuit of that thing. And that's what's happening to this rich man in this story. Become like them means you lose your true sense of self as you worship them. You don't know who you are apart from it. Your, self of, your sense of self is completely wrapped up in that thing. And here's what happens. If your sense of self is completely wrapped up in money or the significance that you think it gives you, material possessions and money or the security that you think it gives you, when those things are threatened, you'll lose your joy. You'll lose your mind. Your uncontrollable emotions show up when your source of identity is under threat. And that could be so many things, and we talk about this often here at Trinity. But in this text, it's money. So what happens in your heart when you can't afford the thing that your neighbor just got? What happens in your heart when you can't, when your investments are, are diving, right? That happens. What happens in your heart when you see other people get the nice things of life, but you can't get it? What happens in your life when, you know, when, when the, the raise that you expected at work doesn't come through? Now, I realize that all of us will have emotional reactions to all of those things, but at what level? How controlling are those emotions? How powerful are those emotions? And the clue that that thing has become your source of identity is that you cannot wrap your arms around those emotions because they control you. So why is greed such an enemy of generosity and giving? We started that way saying that this is the enemy. Why is it the enemy? Because whatever your soul treasures most, craves and covets, you will pay any price to get it. And you see this. People lay down their families on the altar of career. People lay down their integrity on the altar of more money. It happens all the time. There's stories in the news all the time about people who have compromised specific areas of their lives in the pursuit of money and material possessions. And that's true of everything in life. Whatever your soul craves, covets, treasures most, you will pay any price, any price tag. You'll muster it up so that you can have it. The example that I, I often use because it's so accurate and so memorable is the character Gollum from The Lord of the Rings who has to have that ring so much that he actually begins to call it his precious. And it begins to physically alter and mentally alter who he is. And in giving us that character, J.R. Tolkien is giving us a look at ourselves. When something becomes our precious and we obsess about it and we have to have it, he would do anything to get it back once he lost it and it begins to destroy everything about us. And this is how serious it is. And if this seems dramatic, remember that Jesus started this whole thing by saying, watch out, 
be on guard. And if you get it, what will it ever really do for you? This is the other thing with money and material possessions. What can its presence provide for you that its absence can't just as easily take away? I remember one other thing that Mr. Wonderful said one time on the show Shark Tank is somebody was talking about their finances and crying. And he said to them, don't cry for your money. It won't cry for you. And I thought that's such a powerful truth. And it's true of any idol. Don't cry for your career. It will never cry for you. Don't cry for success. It isn't going to cry for you. Its heart isn't going to break for you. What can it actually do for you? So how do we overcome? I'm going to ask the band to come up. We're going to uh, close in a little bit with a song. But how do we overcome this problem of greed where we want things that we shouldn't want and we want them at a level that we shouldn't want them at and we can't get free from this and they enslave us and they empower us? How do we overcome? Well, we have to remind ourselves of this truth. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. I think this will be on the screen for you. Paul says this. He says, you know, look at this, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's that word, generous. You know that God's grace towards you was, was, he lavished his grace upon you. He was reckless even in pouring out his love upon you. His generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he, speaking of Jesus, was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. And this word rich right here is not speaking of financial money. It's not speaking of finances. It's not speaking of money. It's, this is not health, wealth, gospel. This is not if you serve God, you're going to have all your bills paid. You're going to get everything. You're never going to suffer. You're never going to get sick. The money's always going to be in the bank account. If you give, God will give you this much more. Listen, I understand in the scriptures there's a principle of reaping and sowing. And certainly God, I believe, blesses those who faithfully give. But it's not always the way that we think he's going to bless us. Because the blessings we really need are not the things that fill our bank accounts, but the truth of God that fills our hearts. That's what he really wants to give us. But here in a nutshell is the gospel, the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he was rich in heaven, in the presence of God, united with the Father, had nothing to gain by leaving that, but he left it all for our sake. He became poor, born uh, to a young, poor, nobody couple in, 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 a, in a barn, uh, out of the way, forgotten by the world, overlooked by many people, and seen by no one for 30 years, crucified as a criminal for you and me. He became poor. Why? So that by his poverty, he could make you rich. Do you, do you understand that truth this morning? that the riches of God's grace that you have came to you at expense to Christ. It was his poverty. He experienced the poverty of separation from the Father. He experienced the poverty of your sin and your shame and the punishment that you and I deserved. He took the poverty of that upon himself so that we could have the riches of his righteousness, the riches of his grace, and the riches of the hope that we have of God's love and acceptance of us. And that's how we overcome greed. We look at Jesus and we see him giving up the riches of heaven to gain us as his treasure and to secure the treasure of heaven for us. And what we find in Jesus is significance that we've been looking for everywhere else. You're so significant to the Father that he sent his one and only son to give his life for you. But also the security that our hearts crave because of what Christ did, he offered the sacrifice once and for all. And we're secure in the hands of Jesus as we place our faith and our trust and our hope in him. And my prayer this morning for all of us is, might sound very simple, but it's so important. Holy Spirit, help me and help my friends 
to find Jesus more beautiful than stuff. I mean, it seems ridiculous that it has to be said, right? That Jesus is more beautiful than stuff. But how many times do we live like that's not true? Listen, when's the last time, when's the last time you didn't spend your money on something that you wanted and could afford simply because you you chose to be generous with that money? We have to begin to practice, and I'm speaking to myself right now, I need to begin to practice the habit of not buying things that I can afford and that I want because I've been called to something greater with my resources, to be generous and to bless other people. And I, and I, and I was thinking this question this, as I was prepping this, because like, I don't want to ask this question to these people because I don't want to answer this question. I wouldn't want anyone to ask this to me because I don't know if I have a good answer. But the Holy Spirit was speaking to me and saying, David, when is the last time you said no to something that you wanted and could afford because you decided, no, I'm going to invest this instead into someone else's life. I choose generosity instead of myself. And we'll never have the power in our hearts to do this if we don't see Jesus giving up the riches of heaven, embracing the poverty of our sin to make us rich. When greed encounters grace, the result is always generosity. Grace beats greed every single time. And that's what we need. So for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about what does generosity look like in three different areas of our lives. Next week, radical living. Two weeks, uh, radical forgiving. Uh, And then in three weeks, radical giving. All these different, how do we live generously? How do we forgive generously? And then lastly, we'll circle back to this topic, how do we give generously? And I believe that God will use this not just to change us, but to change the world. Because generous people change the world. You don't want to be generous, the only world you can change is yours. If you're willing to be generous, you can change the world around you, the world that God has called you to bless. Let's pray together.